Let's go ahead and bow in prayer as we open the word. We're going to be in Ephesians 3. Lord, we come before you and just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word to see what you would have us to see from this and to understand your love, your grace in a better and stronger way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given unto you, word, how by the revelation he made known to me the mystery which I wrote off for in few words, whereby when you read you will, may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which is in other ages, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and the same of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So we're going to look at this and we want to start with Paul's identifying himself as a prisoner of Christ. And this letter was one of written prison letters. He wrote it from prison to the Ephesians. But most of the apostles considered themselves bond slaves. And I'm not sure if you understand what a bond slave is unless you've read the Old Testament enough. You had a slave who was a servant, not by choice. They were born a slave, they were sold into slave, captured in battle, made into slaves. And you had what was called bond slaves. And this was a Jewish concept that if a person was to sell themselves into slavery because they couldn't pay their debts or meet an obligation, if every seven years there would be this time when people would be released. And the person could say, well, I just, this first, this owner, this guy's been a good owner to me. They, they take care of my needs. If I go out, I'm just going to mess up my finances again. I'm just going to, life will be bad if I get out. And they, and they would choose to continue to be that person's servant. And they would go through a whole ceremony, putting in a, on a, in their ear and putting in an uh, earring and showing that they were a servant for life by choice. And this is the title that the disciples use for themselves. We are bond slaves for Christ. We're going to do what he wants, and we're doing it because we have chosen to put ourselves that way. And I hope that is where each person is who's a Christian, that you have chosen to be a bond slave or a bond servant for Christ. We do what he wants because we have chosen to allow him to be master. And that's automatically what we've done because he is our Lord and Savior. Most of us always want to concentrate on the Savior part, he saved us from hell. He saved us from our sins. And we like that. And I agree. We like that. But he is also to be our Lord and Master. And this is when he gives us instructions on things we are to do. We are to follow. He gives us simple instructions to share the gospel to, with people. And that's our job to share the gospel. Could he send an angel to, to share the gospel with people? I suppose he could have. But that's not what he's choosing to do. After the rapture of the church in Revelation, it talks about an angel flying around in heaven proclaiming the gospel. So yes, he could choose to do it by an angel. But that is not how he's doing it while the church is in, in, in position. And so we look at this and we, say, we see Paul saying that. And then he goes on and he says, If you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God. Now, this if is not if and you may or may not have. He's saying if and you have. <laughs> okay. This is not, he's not using if. In English, and we've talked about this before, in English we have 
if, and it's if then else. I mean, it's, it's always in English, it's if this or this. Well, in Greek, they have more than one word for if. One word is just like us, if and it may or may not be true. And then, as in this case, it's if and it is true. <laughs> then there's another one that says if and it is not true. <laughs> and it's hard for us when we're reading the English Bible sometimes because there's a particular verse where people says, if you could lose your salvation, <laughs> and they go running off crazy with it because they don't realize that that if is if and you cannot. But he says, if you could and you can't, this is what the, re re what the results would be. But we don't read that in English because we go, if and it may or may not happen is the only way we read if. And it should have, if it had been translated a little better, it should, probably should have been, if it cannot happen, this is, what, this is what would happen. And so in this case, he's saying, it is true that you've heard of the dispensation of grace. Now, dispensation is a kind of a fancy word. It means foundation or a way of thinking. So he said, you've heard of grace. The church has been in a foundation of grace. The world has been in, in the dispensation of grace since Jesus died and rose again. And we look at this, and there's a teaching out there, and we're just going to use the bare, bare basics. It's called dispensationalism. And it says there's seven dispensations in time. The first one is innocency, and it went from creation to the fall. Adam and Eve had one rule, and God dealt with them through their innocency. And as we know, they couldn't keep one rule. Uh, between the fall and Noah, they consider that the time of conscience. Men were to live in their, con their conscience. You know, we know what's right and wrong. Now, none of these things have actually totally disappeared. We all still have conscience. And God has told us, that, you know, and, and Paul told us often in his epistles, we know right from wrong. And when somebody tries to tell you they don't know right from wrong, they're lying already. And they know that they're lying. Now, they may have seared their conscience and, and burn, burned out the conscience through total disobedience, but... During that period of time, it's basically God dealt with their conscience. And, and then from Noah to the time of Abraham, he dealt by governmental positions. During that period of time, we ended up with a wonderful government uh, called the Kingdom of Nimrod, better known as Babylon. And it is still today, here today, and all false religions are based in the rules of Babylon. And Babylon and Nimrod, and they set up the, this whole satanic religious system, and all the religions of the world fall under Babylon, except for Christianity. And as I've told you, Christianity is not a re religion, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why it's different from everything else. Feeling like I'm missing one? Conscience, government. Okay. From uh, Abraham to Moses, we were on promise. God gave a covenant to people. And the, if you know the story of Abraham, Abraham was promised a great nation, that all the world would be touched by him, that he'd have a ruler from his family that would always rule. Uh, and then we have the whole, those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. And for years, the, the world was governed under that promise. He had selected a people. And that covered, those first four dispensations covered approximately 2,000 years from creation to Moses. 
from Moses until Jesus, which was another roughly 2,000 years, we had the law, the Mosaic law, or actually God's law given through Moses. I, we say Mosaic law, and it kind of makes you think Moses wrote it, but no, it's God who wrote it, gave it to us. And as we've talked about, the law was not designed to get people to please God. The law's purpose was to show us that we are sinners. Because if anybody thinks they can keep the, the, uh, the Mosaic law, they're deceiving themselves. Now, 613 laws in totality. We all know the Ten Commandments, and none of us can even keep the Ten Commandments, much less the other 613 laws. Law was there only to show us that we are sinners. During, this, during those 4,000 years, God dealt harshly with people. Now, you had the Korite rebellion where God opened up the ground and swallowed all the Korites for their rebellion against Moses. And we haven't seen too much of that in the last 2,000 years. Okay, uh, thunders, lightnings, uh, you know, uh, hailstones and all the other stuff that happened during those periods because we are living under grace at this particular time where God says, your sins are covered, just come to Christ. The last dispensation will happen at the rapture of the church when God goes back to dealing with Israel. Okay? And because Israel is not finished. <laughs> there, there are people that teach you that Israel did, you rejected Jesus so God threw them away. No, he did not throw them away. He took and said, okay, you're on the side burner for now while I deal with the church. And while we deal with the church, we get to give the gospel out. We get to bring bring the message of God's family to everybody that Paul's talking about here. The Gentiles are the family of God. But when the church is taken out, God will deal with the Israelites again. That's what the tribulation period is all about, is trying to draw them to him. And then the millennial kingdom is all about the worship of God through Jerusalem. And for those of you who don't know, a sacrificial system will be reinstalled in, in that period of time. It will not include, you know, when we say sacrificial system, most of us non-Gentiles and believers believe that there's only one type of sacrifice, and there are actually five sacrifices <laughs> that, are part, that are part of the, fellowship, the, the worship of God. Two of them will not continue because they were fulfilled by Jesus. The sin offering and the trespass offering will not continue. And if you want more details, go on, online, look at, listen to the Leviticus tapes, <laughs> Leviticus series early. But three of the sacrifices will continue because of what they represent. The burnt offering represents total dedication. And it will be an opportunity for people to come and say, I'm being totally dedicated to God. The other one was the peace offering. And, and basically that worked out to be, be uh, a kind of a meal with God. <laughs> You, you had to eat the sacrifice within so many days, and you, so you'd invite all your friends, and it was just a big celebration. And then you had the meal offering, which was just a offering to, to God. Uh, so but we just wanted to bring that out to you, because a lot of people struggle when they hear there's going to be the sacrifices. Well, that's because they don't understand the sacrificial system. Uh, two of them will not continue, three will. So those are dispensations. Now, I want you to be careful because a lot of people get very crazy about these dispensation. I, I understand it. It makes sense to me in one sense. But God has always worked salvation in only one way, and that is through, the great, through his grace, through his love, through his grace.
The Old Testament looked toward the cross of Jesus. From the, after Jesus looked back to his cross. But he has only been through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that people could enter heaven and please God. And the sacrifices, they did not cover their sins. They just pointed to Jesus. And all through the way, time that he dealt with him, it's always been by grace. So don't think that he said, okay, I've got different rules. You need to these things of dealing with people differently. He just had different sets of rules for how we recognize that we're a sinner. You know, Adam and Eve are real simple. You, you eat of that tree, you're dead. <laughs> they knew real quick. You know, during the conscience, you, know, you had Cain and Abel. Cain knew darn well that he was sinning when he, and, and disobeying when he killed his brother. He knew that he was disobedient when he offered his sacrifice of his own works. And God will never accept our works. He looks at our works and says, okay, they're worthless. You know, what else do you have for me? You know, and it's, God, I need you. I need your blood. Which is why Cain's offering was accepted, because it was the blood. All through civilization, God has had his people and say, it's the blood. The blood covers the sins. The blood of Christ. Not the animal, because the animal looked as a picture of Jesus. And so there's only been the one way, and there will always be only one way to God. And this is why religion is so poor, because it says, well, just, just do the best you can. You know, and we hear that, and the sad thing is we hear it in a lot of Christian churches. Do, do, do good things and you're going to be okay. No. My good will never stand before God. My righteousness is filthy rags. And when I stand before God, if I'm trying to, try to stand in front of him with my, with my righteousness, it's filthy rags. And in that Isaiah verse, it literally talks about medical rags that have been used on surgical activities. And with what I've been going through this week, I now have a new, clearer revelation of what that, is, that means. And I can't even picture standing before God clothed in something like that. And trying to say, God, look at me. Look at all the good things I've done. You know, and it's going to make everybody sick. Because the only thing that will stand is for me to say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment, and Jesus paid for it. I want the righteousness of Christ. Grace is such a valuable thing, and Paul is understanding that. And he says... This is the dispensation of grace, and I'm called to tell you about it. It's a mystery. The mystery. And Ephesians has been talking a lot about the mystery of Christ. And we've covered it a couple months, a couple months ago now, I guess, in chapter 1. Uh, the mystery of Christ. That Gentiles would be accepted as fellow citizens in heaven. You know... When Paul's telling this to the Jews, can you imagine the Jews who are believing they're the only ones? And if you're not a Jew, you're, there's no way you're going to heaven. You know, their belief literally was that if you were born a Gentile, you were born to go to hell. They had no, no use for Gentiles. If you were a Gentile who really, really wanted to seek out being a Jew, they, they would kind of accept you. But you were a proselyte and you were a second-class Jewish citizen. But because you chose it, you weren't born that way. And Paul's telling them, Jesus came so that they could be fellow citizens. <laughs> to the Jewish hearing, that's going to be almost blasphemous. Jews and Gentiles both being citizens of heaven. 
that was something they would not have been taken well. And yet, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is the mystery. It was spoken. And it says in uh, verse uh, 5, which in ages was not made known unto man, the sons of man, but is now revealed unto the holy apostles and the prophets and by the Spirit. We always think of the, the early church as being this nice, easygoing, <laughs> perfect church. You know, one of the biggest struggles they had was, what do you do with all these Gentiles that are getting saved? You know, the apostles were Jews. And there's a lot of people who think that they were purposely going out to start this great new religion. They had no intention of starting a new religion. Matter of fact, for the first 400 years, Christianity was considered a Jewish sect. Now, it was considered Jewish. They met on Saturdays for the Jewish part of them, and then they met on Sundays for the Gentile part of them, and every other day of the week. But it was, it was a big battle for, the Jew, for, these, for these Jewish guys, okay? You know, number one, you're not supposed to talk to Gentiles, but now they're part of your church, and you're teaching them God's word, and they're not getting circumcised. <laughs> they're not keeping the 613 laws because Paul has been telling them they're under grace, and Peter's telling them they're under grace. And it's like, what do we do with all these people? And you want to talk about headaches and trouble you know, this was a big deal. This was a big deal for them. We're just trying to give a little history of what the church has come through. You know, why don't we, we kind of look back at the Church of Acts and say, wow, that was the perfect church. Everything was, every, everything was good back then. There was all kinds of controversy. Don't forget, everything we read on these epistles that talk about the things they were doing was the first century church <laughs> being corrected by the apostles. And Corinth had great big problems because they had all these people coming in from the worship of Diana. You know, and how did you worship Diana? Well, you went up to the temple and you had sex. That's how you worship Diana. And now they're Christians <laughs> trying to figure out how to worship God. And they don't know how to worship because their worship has been something totally different. That's why Paul's letters are all full of information. No, you don't do this. You don't, you don't have fornication. You don't have adultery. You stand differently. And when we bring new people into a church, the lost world, they come in with all kinds of strange understandings of what it means to worship God sometimes. They've come in with all kinds of strange understanding of the Bible. Our job as Christians is to make them feel welcome and help them learn. Make them feel welcome so they can learn how to worship God, how to study the Bible. Because I can tell you, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of weird teachings out there. There's a lot of weird teachings even in quote-unquote Christian churches. And you need to be in a church that teaches the Bible, and we encourage that. When, when we go out online, one, one of the things on there says, once you've accepted Jesus Christ, find a Bible-teaching church. If you have a Christian friend, have them help you find a Christian. Because it's hard to find good churches sometimes. Because, number one, if you don't know what a Bible teaching church is, you know, if the pastor stands up there and reads a verse out of the Bible, you think he's teaching the Bible. And he may or may not be. And this is critical. It's critical for us to be under this, the mystery of God, that we are fellow servants, citizens of heaven. 
in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of this and of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I, have made, and I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And this is Paul going on and saying he has been given this message. He's been given the message to teach. We've got the message of the mystery of Christ. We can be followers of God, servants of God, citizens of heaven, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. But you know, even more, we are part of the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God. Yeah. That is such a very powerful understanding. In the Roman days, and even in our days, an adopted child cannot be disinherited. Okay, you chose them. You can disinherit your, your you can disinherit your natural children because they were kind of thrown at you. You really had no, you only had a minimal choice on whether you had them. But an adopted child you chose. You cannot disinherit a adopted child. The Romans had that same mentality, and so when Paul is writing about us being adopted children, the power of that. We have an inheritance in heaven. Our inheritance starts here, <laughs> on earth. Now, we've said this before. Eternal life does not start the moment that my body drops dead. It starts the moment Jesus Christ came into my life, and your life. When he came in, you got eternal life. And when our body drops dead, our spirit just transitions from this physical realm into the realm of the spirit, and we're present with God. But there's wonderful time where we just switch. <laughs> Will we notice anything? I don't know. We'll definitely notice that we're standing before God, <laughs> and we're seeing things differently. But our life, is we get eternal life. And I want to stress that because there's a lot of people who have trouble with eternal life. They go, well, what if I choose not to have eternal life. Well, it's eternal life. Okay? Uh, well, what if I do lots of bad things? Then the Bible goes into this questionable thing of, did you ever have life to begin with? Okay? If you continue to sin and you have no conviction of your sin and no desire to repent, the question is, did you ever know Jesus in the first place? Not, did you lose your salvation? Now, if you can sin and you're convicted and you're, and you're feeling like you have to confess, then I say, yes, you are, you are one of his and he's convicting you because he will discipline his children. And it says very clearly that if you can sin without any conviction, you're not one of his. And that would be the same. I'm not going to go up to any kid that I see just disobeying and start to go up and spank them because they're mis misbehaving unless they're my kid. <laughs> now, my kid, I'll spank. I will discipline. I'm not going to go up and just, you know, pick some kid up and say, well, you're just misbehaving, so I'm going to spank you. No, they're not my kid. So, and God's the same way. If we are misbehaving and disobeying, he will discipline. If you can disobey without any discipline in your life, no conviction in your life, then you need to start saying, uh, do I know him? <laughs> so it's not that you've lost your salvation, it's that you never had it. And there's a lot of people in this world, in, in these churches that I've been in, that say that they're saved. But you get to know them and you talk to them and it becomes fairly clear that they don't know God. 
they may have said the prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner, you know, I deserve punishment coming to my life, but they never believed the words. And as I've said before, that's, that prayer is not a hocus pocus, you know, alakazam, I'm saved. It's, you've got to mean the words. Otherwise, they don't mean anything. And I've shared with you, I went, I've been soul winning on the street. I've had somebody basically have a teenager up against a wall saying, you've got to say this prayer, you've got to say this prayer. Well, the kid said the prayer after about 15 minutes of being backed up against this wall. And I turned to him and I go, after he left, and go, you know he's not saved. You know, he's, he said the prayer, God's going to hold him. I go, no. He said the prayer to get out of your, away from you. But the worst thing is that someday he may think he's saved because he said this prayer out on a street that some crazy woman made him, you know, made him say, and he may think that he's saved. And this is, and this is the sad thing out there. We want to be careful because those words, you know, and I've been in a lot of churches where the pastors will get everybody to bow your head, say this prayer, the whole church. It doesn't mean anything. If it's not real, it doesn't mean anything. And I, believe me, I believe in the prayer. <laughs> I believe in the words. But if it doesn't mean, if you're not saying it's knowing that, I, that you're a sinner, knowing that Jesus is the one that saved, paid the price, knowing that he is your righteousness, then it means nothing just a bunch of words and you get people to say well I, I said that prayer just in case sorry just in case isn't going to work it's got to be meant I've had people try you know in evangelism well give Jesus a try nope you don't give Jesus a try you commit to Jesus or you don't commit to Jesus one way or the other it's not it's not both you know you, he's not somebody out there that said okay I'm gonna grab hold of this and see if it works that's not what it means to make him Lord and Master and Savior. It's a total commitment in our life. And so we just want to look at this as we go forward. The dispensation of grace, we live in a time where God's dealing, in, dealing with people through grace. Not through law, not through, not through anger, and he's being gentle. Unfortunately, a lot of people have trouble even with gentle. <laughs> but you know, in my experience, people respond more to the gentleness of grace than they do to law. I'm not going to sit there and beat them over the head. Look at all the bad things you're doing. Now, I want them to know enough of the law so they know that they're bad. <laughs> but also give them grace because they're going to stand and fall before God. Each one of us stands and falls before God. He is the one that's going to give us our, our life. He's the one that's going to make us change. He's the one that's going to change us because he makes us a new creation. And as I said, Christianity is the easiest, easiest life to live because all you do is surrender to God and he does the work. He does everything. All I've got to do is surrender. Let's close in prayer and then we'll have a couple songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, and we ask that you just work on their heart right now to confess that they're a sinner then to ask you to come into their heart and forgive you of their sins. And then have them come talk to us. We can get them a booklet on how to, on where to go through next. And Lord, we ask that you take each one of us, continue to change us, give us boldness to share the gospel with others, and the opportunity to share. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.